This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Ona Tangata O Manawatu. It is a Friday morning, and so we turn our attention to central government. And this week we have MP for Rangitiki, uh, Ian McKelvey, on the phone. Good morning to you, sir. And good morning to you. Um, let's uh, start with a little peek behind the curtain of the operation of Manawatu People's Radio. We're actually recording uh, this on Thursday, which is Armistice Day. Um, I noticed on your Facebook page you'd made mention of that. And I don't want to appear rude, but it strikes me that uh, your connection to Armistice Day might be stronger than some others because... Uh, you will remember from your youth people that would have served in World War One, where that's uh, nigh on impossible to see nowadays. That's right, and it was very interesting because last year, of course, we had an Armistice Day service and fielding in person, and it was amazingly strongly represented. Us, you know, it wasn't of the Anzac Day, obviously, but it was a very well attended and very nice um, function. And I, yeah, and I think that's it's quite interesting because a lot of things that, have, that we've known in our youth, or I've known in my youth, are now coming back to um, effectively haunt me. But I, I think they're going to uh, haunt our young as well. Yes, well, I mean, it was, sadly, you could look at the global situation and think that we haven't learned much since World War One. Um, but uh, the, I mean, do you think the world's a better place? Uh, I think it's a better place. I think it's more complicated, and, and that's primarily caused by us being closer together. And, and the fact when by that I mean technology's brought, brought us much closer together. Obviously, tra- travel has too. But I think being closer together and knowing what's going on at every you know every t- touch of the finger, basically, you can find out what's happening. Whether it's right or not is another thing, of course, because some of the stuff we uh, read isn't necessarily right. So I think other than that, I think the world's the world's a pretty good shape, really. I think. Yeah, um, and I guess, I mean, I I went on to your Facebook page. Well, I follow you on Facebook, obviously, um, and uh, saw a couple of your posts and went for a look. And and the the information side of things, I mean, I've always considered you quite a a sort of a a moderate MP. You're not quick to accuse people of things. Your Facebook page, you've been going quite hard out against the government. Uh, The government's promise of open and honest communication is disingenuous and hypocritical. I don't think I've ever heard you use those words. No, I haven't. And it's very interesting, the response I've had, um, uh, uh, both in person and um, and with letters and correspondence. It's really quite intriguing. Um, uh, no, I'm not that way inclined, but I do think that, that you know, things like the Three Waters and I think the treatment of Auckland, um, for mine, it's, it's not humane. And, and only last night I had a person ring from Western Australia who can't get a place back in uh, New Zealand because of their... Uh, and their mother is terminally ill, can't get a place in, um, to get back into New Zealand. And so... There's the sort of battles that I think just shouldn't be happening. So I noticed as well you've you've linked a couple of times to a petition to end MIQ, and we do understand that the the government is working on some sort of trial to see if uh, self isolation at home could be a, a an a adequate replacement to MIQ in some cases. I'm assuming you don't think that's good enough. Oh uh, no, I, I think to a large extent I think we do. Uh, I think that that's certainly serves part of the of the package, and and the challenging thing for us, of course, in New Zealand is that Auckland's our main uh, 
access and egress, and, and so people will be coming in through Auckland. So if you live in Auckland, it's very easy to isolate at home. If you live elsewhere in New Zealand, it's not such an easy uh, uh, equation because you've got to get there. And so, so there's a lot of uncertainty around how you might deal with some of that stuff. But actually, I think the real um, issue is that I think we should have been working on that for a long, long time, uh, and we should have had a plan in place because clearly the government's uh, thrown its hands up around COVID and they're going to um, eventually surrender, basically. Uh, and I think, and, and I think I'm not criticising for that because I think that was inevitable. I think the criticism is around the fact that we don't know what's happening. Well, I mean, don't we? Uh, we're, we're aiming for 90% uh, or thereabouts, and, and then we are, as you say, throwing our hands up and hoping that the health system can cope. I mean, it's, I, I, I would agree it's not the greatest plan, but that, that is the plan. We know where we're going. Well, we sort of do, but Aucklanders don't, you see, because uh, we've got three ministers telling Auckland different things, even as late as this morning. Uh, one of them, uh, again, commenting on the on the border in Auckland and how they might or might not get out of the place. And, um, and you know, we saw the Prime Minister yesterday take an Air Force jet to Auckland and, and uh, visit three places and back again. Uh, I, I just think it's unacceptable, and I don't know of any Prime Minister in my time that would have let a thing like Auckland uh, in the in the 80 or 91 days or 92 days, I think it is now, go without um, uh, paying some attention to it um, in person. I mean, it's, it took about five minutes to get to the um, uh, Christchurch, and it didn't take much longer uh, for other disasters. And previous prime ministers have been the same. And I, I guess there is no playbook for this, though, is there? There, there, there is no uh, formal plan, or there certainly wasn't at the start of this, for dealing with the pandemic like the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent Delta variant, which was a curveball that um, people were, were surprised by. Um, is it fair to say that the government is disingenuous and hypocritical when the, New Zealand as a whole has been put on this pedestal on the global stage for so long as being the, the best response to COVID and, you know, one or two balls are dropped and suddenly, you know, the Prime Minister is not fit for the job. Oh, oh I haven't said that. My, my, um, my um, criticism is much broader than COVID, though. I mean, I, mean, I think the disingenuous part is, is three waters. Um, the Minister said she'd go out for consultation, took not a blind bit of notice and carried on as she should have always, as she was always intending. And so you, you get all these councils wasting all this energy and money, ratepayers' money, um, which could have been used to fix the water, on, on consultation that absolutely meant nothing. Mm. Fair enough. Um, I, I want to uh, talk about three-something, but I think, I think we talked about three waters fairly extensively last time you were on, and not a lot has we changed did, in that. Um, but three strikes. Uh, I hear uh, today that the, the government has announced they will be repealing uh, the three strikes law uh, on the basis that, and, and this is categorical from uh, Chris Fafoy uh, and Grant Robertson, that there is no evidence to suggest that it has made New Zealand any safer. Uh, and I see National and ACT are coming out saying this will make New Zealand less safe. Uh, who's right? <laughs> uh, well, I, <laughs> to give them credit, actually, this, this three was a part of their election pro- promise um, of, of four years ago. So they did, they did always intend to repeal this. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one uh, you know, bit of kudos they can have. Um, I think it was a piece of legislation brought in with an act uh, and by act with the backers of it, actually, uh, in a national coalition, and um, and we thought it was a piece of legislation that would make a difference. Uh, it would certainly be a deterrent, and, and they've got no evidence that it's not a deterrent. 
but, but and and to be fair, well, to them, the they, statistics they, 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 are not. Their statistics are not bad. You know, they, they they point to their argument being reasonable, but actually, you don't know what the deterrent's like. Well, we do because they're saying there is no obvious change in crime rates or repeat offending as a result of this. Uh, legislation. They're saying there's no evidence to suggest that it is effective or that it has made New Zealand safer. No, no except that nowhere near the number of people have committed the third strike. Is, is, is that, that a fact? They're estimated to at the time of the legislation. Right. Okay. Um, so, so you're uh, alongside National and Act in uh, opposing this. Would if, if National got re-elect, got elected at the next election, would you reinstate the the, the three strikes legislation? Oh, I, mean, I think that would be a, that would be a, um, an issue for however we were re-elected at the next election. I. I mean, I can't comment on that. Um, that's a little bit above my station in life. Uh, <laughs> oh, not at all. You're a, you're the representative of Rangitiki. You 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 share the electorate's views with uh, Wellington and vice versa, don't you? I do. I do. I certainly do. Um, we are here with Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, uh, looking at what he has been up to uh, over the, the past uh, little while, couple of weeks. If you want to hear this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Um, Ian, I, Bunnythorpe uh, in your electorate, I, feel, I kind of feel for Bunnythorpe because they're in the Palmerston North City Council boundary and deal with the Palmerston North City Council on a regular basis. But but not the Palmerston North MP. They have they have you as their MP. That's not what I feel sorry for. But just the kind of one <laughs> one foot in each camp, as it were. Um, but Bunnythorpe, um, th- things not uh, entirely uh, smelling of roses over there with the Kiwi Rail Freight Hub. Uh, I see that the hearing uh, for that is uh, all done. It looks like it's all going ahead now. Um, but the community has uh, somewhat mixed feelings. What are your feelings on it? Oh, well, I, th- I think firstly it's got a little way to go before it's all going ahead. So whilst the, the hearing's been uh, held, there's certainly some issues that will be raised as a result of that that will, will seriously test Kiwi Rail's ability to get on with it, and if they don't sort it out, they won't. Well, well, well give um, us so an think, example of that. Uh, well, the, the roading and things like that are certainly up in the air, and that's being put back in Kiwi Rail's camp to sort out. So, so I understand that there's a little bit of work to be done yet, quite a lot of work to be done yet. But I'll just go back in history a little bit, Fraser. And Bunnythorpe's been a very unlucky place with respect to planning. Uh, and the ring road uh, of the early um, uh, 2000s was going to badly affect Bunnythorpe and the alterations of roads around Bunnythorpe. And actually, the Bunnythorpe situation was one of the prime drivers for uh, the enlarged Palmerston City boundary, which had had the impact of <laughs> making me their MP, not uh, Tang Yutakiri. And, uh, and uh, well, in fact, I was always their MP. But... Um, but, so I think they've been, you're quite right, they've been a very unlucky community in the, in the respect of no planning having been dealt with. And, and I think it'd be fair to say Bunnythorpe's not opposed to this Kiwi Rail thing. They're opposed to the way in which Kiwi Rail have dealt with it, the way in which Kiwi Rail have expanded the proposal without any community consultation, basically, just came up with the plan, uh, because initially they did consult with it with the community. So I, I think there's a lot of work to be done before this thing's settled in. And if you look at the shift from uh, from the centre of Palmerston North to where the current railway station is, I think that took something like 35 years. 
And so for Bunny Thorpe to have an uncertain future for another 35 years is completely unacceptable. And so I, under- I think we need some definiteness around it. Uh, yeah, and I understand that the proposed uh, what you might call compensation for property owners isn't exactly generous either. Market value and a, and a bit extra on top. It's not in this in this climate. That's not acceptable, is it? Well, I, th- I think there's probably a little bit of negotiation to be done with some of those houses that are affected by this, and and I also think that the the law is reasonably clear on this, um, and and I think that. Yes, I think they deserve to be compensated reasonably well, and I think I think they will be. And one of the challenges, of course, is if you live in Bunnythorpe and you're being shifted out of Bunnythorpe, then there's a differential between Bunnythorpe and wherever else you might want to go, almost for sure. And so, so it does make it a little bit difficult for people to to um, move to where they want to move from a place that they wanted to live in. And so, I think yes, I think it's a little unfair, but it, uh, and it's very challenging. And I think that there's some work to be done in that area. Is there anything that you are doing as their MP to support the community? Because I guess you're, I suppose you've got to be careful here. I mean, this is Kiwi Rail. There are evident economic benefits to this uh, and uh, for the region and for uh, the city uh, and possibly, uh, you know, job opportunities and things which could benefit Bunnythorpe. But at the same time, the Bunnythorpe community are not happy at the moment and your job is to uh, represent them. Well, they're not happy, but I don't think I don't think it'd be fair to say the Bunningthorpe community are opposed to this proposal. I think they're proposed; uh, they're very seriously opposed to this, to the to the way in which they've been treated by Kiwi Rail, and the way in which they, uh, um, or the uncertainty they have uh, until this thing's resolved. And so I think those two issues, and and of course the property issue is another one that comes into it. But I don't think it'd be fair to say Kiwi, uh, that Bunningthorpe is necessarily opposed to the proposal. I think they're just opposed to the manner in which it's been implemented. And if you look at the, the extraordinary amount of work that Aaron Fox and his friends have done in submitting to the council and some very good work on it as well, um, I think they're going a long way towards getting their own way and there'll clearly be an appeal on this anyway. So so you, you think that they will, that the Bunnythorpe people will, in essence, win this and either have uh, the, 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 the freight hub plans downsized or shifted further along the road? No, I don't even think that's the issue. I think the issue is to get a satisfactory settlement and get some definite plans going forward. I think that's what Bunnythorpe's most concerned about, and the primary concern in that is, is in fact, the roading around Bunnythorpe, which has been uncertain for nearly 20 years now. And I think if that, that was resolved as part of this whole uh, uh, application, which I, I understand it would have to be for it to be accepted, um, I, I think that you'll find Bunnythorpe provided they can settle those property issues, will be much more relaxed about this proposal. Now, not everyone's going to agree with it, and you can't blame them. But, but I think that, on the whole, it would be unfair to say Bunnythorpe are totally opposed to the economic benefits that would occur to both Bunnythorpe and to the, to the greater region. What, what are your feelings on it? I mean, do you think this is a good initiative? Uh, you know, what, what... Um, uh, well, I think two or three things. Um, I mean, I'm clearly not competent to comment on Kiwi Rail's business, but... But I'm surprised it's been put where it has. I was surprised at the time it was announced that it was put where it was. I'm surprised, I will be interested to see the challenges that Horizons have in, in effectively getting that area drained and, man, and managed and the flooding managed in that area because it's significant. Uh, and and I'm also, um, I also think I've always felt sorry for Bunnythorpe um, and I was involved in the early days of the hearings on the, on the Bring Road uh, in, the, in the early 2000s. And, um, 
And so they've been putting up with us for a long, long time. So you've got to have sympathy for the Bunnyfield community. And you've also got to have a bit of sympathy for the people who live in the peripheral of this because whilst the, the, the application talks about mitigating noise and mitigating light and all that sort of thing, a, a rail yard is a big thing, and, it's, and it's, there's some significant challenges in mitigating noise and light in that area. So, so I think there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I don't think that the application to date has been anywhere near satisfactory. We are here with MP for Rangitiki, Ian McKelvey, on the catch-up. You can listen to this again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening, and, of course, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Just turning to the pandemic briefly, Ian, um, we're seeing a lot of, you know, the teachers and the the health workers and the care workers, this mandated vaccine for for certain people um, and the mandate Dated, uh, vaccines moving forward for general members of the public to enter certain facilities and to enjoy a certain quality of life. Uh, I remember putting to Tangi Utakeri that this was uh, potentially a human rights issue in treating people as either first-class citizens or second-class citizens dependent on vaccination. He resisted that on the basis of, you know, it was uh, necessary to fight the pandemic. Do you have any thoughts on that one? So I think it's, we're getting to a very interesting point with that. So I think initially, uh, from from the point of view of border workers and, and health workers, I think it probably was necessary to fight the pandemic. We're now getting to a point, though, where, where as we were talking about earlier, uh, at 90% vaccination, the government tends to effectively uh, free the country up a bit. And, and I, I, there's two things that come to mind for me. One, one is that I think if businesses... Or, or any sort of enterprise or events or whatever, wish to ins- and, and, um, ensure that everyone who t- attends and who works there are vaccinated. That's their pr- uh, business, and they should be entitled to make that decision. But secondly, I think that you know, the, the, I'm vaccinated, uh, for example, and I'm quite happy to talk to someone, uh, have someone next to me who's not vaccinated. That's their choice and their risk, and. and one of the very challenging things for the government and for our whole society at the moment is, is when, when's that fair and when's it not? I don't think it's so much a matter of human rights. It's actually what's fair and reasonable for your neighbour and what's not. And, and so there's going to be a lot of different opinions on that. Uh, our position on that is pretty much as I've outlined to date. We support the government's position on a lot of this stuff. Uh, the teachers, of course, are getting quite... It's interesting that we've got a sector of... And, and not a very big percentage of them when you look at the health, the total health um, workforce. It's massive. Um, there's a percentage of people who are uncomfortable with it, and the government at last has come to the post with another vaccine, which I, I support to some extent because there have been a large... Quite, no, not large. There have been a number of people through my office who don't like the vaccine we're using but would be prepared to use another one. And that's a reasonable choice. I don't have an issue with that. No, I, and I guess that's, uh, as you say, that's not a large body of people, but uh, I guess it would help with the getting to 90%. Uh, what do you say to people who are un, who refuse the vaccine on, on some sort of in, inflated moral standing or because they believe the conspiracy theories that they're seeing on social media, when what will happen is they will get sick and they will clog up the health system uh, a health system in New Zealand, which is already not doing well, just catering to the public as it stands. Uh, we hear stories of hospitals getting refrigerated container units put out in the back, ready for the bodies. I mean, that's that's quite scary, uh, and it's because people aren't being vaccinated. 
well, I think it's scaremongering myself. Um, I think um, the the frozen, uh, whatever you call it, insulated coffin. Yeah, I don't want to be insulated. I just want to be burnt. Um, <laughs> the, um, but but I think the issue. Um, yes, I think there is a challenge with that, and, and I think that that's something the government's got to balance. The, you see that if you could very easily argue that we've got a whole lot less people in hospital with the flu, and we've got a whole lot more people in hospital with a different sort of flu or with COVID. Um, so I don't, I don't entirely buy the argument that's clogging up the health system at the moment. And, no, it's not it at the might. moment because Auckland's, Auckland's in lockdown and uh, the rest of the country's in level two. But when we get the free movement again, you know, Delta is confined pretty much to Auckland. That's why they're in lockdown and doing the hard, hard work for the rest of the country. But once we get the free movement and this virus can spread across the country, it's going to encounter a lot more unvaccinated people. Those people are going to get sick and they're going to need to be hospitalised in a large number of cases. And the health system cannot cope with that. Yeah, well, I, I'm not competent, competent to comment on that. We've heard all sorts of... Um of estimates of how many people are going to get sick. But if you look at the actual figures in Auckland, when you think there's 1.2 million people who live there, it's not that bad. Um, and so I think that... Because they're be locked down, though. ...from car crashes than would be from COVID. Yeah, but they're, they're locked down. Yeah, the car crashes, cars can still drive, but in Auckland they are locked down. That's why the, the figures are, are the way they are, isn't it? Well, they don't appear to be locked down, do they? Or the figures wouldn't be getting like they are. So, so I don't, I don't think. I, I think, I think it's interesting, and I think there's two things. There's two things about the vaccinations. One, one is there are a lot of people who haven't been got to yet because uh, I think there were some flaws in the in the way we initiated the vaccination program, particularly in rural New Zealand. And the second one is so you've got two types of people. You've got the people that haven't been got to, and you've got the people who don't want to get vaccinated. Um, for various reasons. Now, do we force them to do that? I don't think we can in a country like New Zealand, but it's but it's an interesting argument. Um, let's look at some uh, happier uh, news. Uh, you're very pleased about the cricket result, I understand. Oh, I'm one of those sort of tragic people, Fraser, who, who um, uh, with nearly a Scottish name as yours too, but um, it's tragic really uh, to watch cricket all the time. But to be a cricket follower in New Zealand in the last three or four or five or six years is just amazing. And to get to that final last night, pretty extraordinary. Uh, very good. I, I, I'm completely unauthorised to speak on cricket. I, have, I don't think I've ever watched a cricket game, so uh, I will assume that your enthusiasm is uh, entirely appropriate. Um, <laughs> You'd be much better at tossing something. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, <laughs> now, you're, I also saw, as I said, I was looking at your Facebook page, you're looking for a, a youth MP. This is a, an, an, an annual sort of campaign to encourage uh, kids to consider, uh, well, understand democracy and maybe consider a career in pol- politics. Uh, so you're looking for a, uh, someone to represent Rangitiki in a sort of youth parliament next year. I am, and I've had, um, so I've had three very good youth MPs in my time here. Um, one of them, Jacinda Gula Kassaran, very well known nationally. She's the young business, been, been a finest and young businesswoman of the year a couple of times. William Wood, of course, was the uh, pharmaceutical candidate in the last election, was another one of them, and Ben Henderson, the other. But So I'm looking for a youth MP, and um, I've gone out to all of my schools because it's effectively a school age thing, but of course anyone else can apply as well, provided they fit the age bracket of 16 to 18. And um, and they uh, just merely uh, write a 600 odd word or an, uh, write me an essay telling me why. They want to be part of it, and in fact, the, the, the nominations close very soon, I think. So, I mean, what are the criteria? Have you, are you looking for a specific type of person? No, I just think I want someone who's enthusiastic, wants to... Um, I don't... Uh, in fact, I'm sure 
one of my youth MPs will never go to Parliament. One might and one probably will. Um, so I think it's good to encourage young people to take an interest in it, but I don't expect them to be uh, political uh, uh, of the ilk of William Wood, for example, who was very enthusiastic about politics and still is. Um, uh, you know, I think I think there's a balance, and, and I don't mind where they come from or who they are, and, and they can just uh, make application, and I've got a team of three people who are going to sort them out for me, and, and uh, they'll tell me who they select. And uh, you'd be happy with someone who might be more to the left of the spectrum politically? Well, I've never asked them that. It's my job to influence them, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so listen, if I can't beat them. If I can't beat them, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what? What? What will they be expected to do? It's, is it a week or two weeks that they they have with you? I can't remember the details. They have a more or less a week, but in two cases, uh, well, actually, in all three of my cases, I've had them for a year, uh, but then they've lived reasonably handy either in Palmerston North or Fielding, and so they've been able to. Uh, you know, accompany me in all sorts of events. Uh, if I had a youth MP from Tamaranui, that would be a little more difficult. But, but um, uh, I've always treated them as a youth MP for for 12 months and given them the opportunity to do what they want to do, basically. So if they want to come with me somewhere, that, that's what they do. But they get to go to Parliament effectively for three days, uh, a couple of days in the, in Parliament, learning about the way the place operates and. Uh, and they have a lot of fun with the other 119 or 120 people that are with them. Marvellous. Uh, Ian McKelvey, we are out of time on the catch-up this morning, but as always, thank you for joining us. Pleasure, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this episode episode again, you can do so on the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. We will be back on Monday with another edition. Uh, make sure you join us then, half past eight. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.